This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Welcome to It's All Political, the San Francisco Chronicle's political podcast. I'm Joe Garofoli, the Chronicle's senior political writer. And today our guest is New York, or should I say Brooklyn, Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. He is a rising star in national politics, a member of the Democratic leadership in the House, and is often mentioned as a possible successor to House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. We will talk about Pelosi, as well as everything from next year's midterm elections, to possible new taxes, to new revelations about what was really going on behind the scenes at the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. And for those who know Jeffries, they know he's a big fan of hip-hop artist Biggie Smalls. He even quoted him during Donald Trump's second impeachment trial. But we ask him what his favorite Tupac Shakur quote is here. Yes, we go East Coast versus West Coast rap battles. We're all over the place with Hakeem Jeffries. And now, here is our conversation. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, welcome to It's All Political. And I got to say, this is the first podcast we were recording back at 901 Mission Street, the Chronicle building, in uh, a year and a half. So this is very special to me, and thank you for coming in here. It's great to be here uh, with you, and an honor to be asked to join this podcast. All right. And you were here in Cal... We were recording this the night, or the morning after California's recall. Uh, you were here, actually, in California on election night. Um, what did you... Um, Tell us, first of all, where you were, and also, what did you learn from this recall that may have possible national implications? Well, it was a big night uh, for Gavin Newsom, a big night for California, uh, a big night for the Democratic Party, and for the nation. The Trump-McCarthy-inspired recall effort was a total failure. And it was a total failure because the differences between what Gavin Newsom and the Democratic Party are all about, and what the Republican Party are all about, which is still under the thumb of Donald Trump, are incredibly wide. So I was at Manny's on the Mission District in recall night in the yeah. Mission District, uh, and there was a high amount of anticipation and energy uh, that was there. People had spent a lot of time, it was clear to me, over the last several weeks, making sure that uh, the people in the Bay Area, and of course, the people of California understood the stakes, uh, came out to vote, voted against the recall, and the results thankfully speak for themselves. So as you saw it as a repudiation of Trumpism, of McCarthyism, if you will, <laughs> modern, modern McCarthyism, correct. That's where you saw this go. Certainly. It was a complete repudiation of Donald Trump, Trumpism, the Republican Party, and the fact that they continue to lean into two big lies. They lie about the election uh, and the legitimacy of Joe Biden's presidency. And they continue to lie about COVID, its seriousness, its implications, and to misinform the public about what it's going to take to emerge from this pandemic, crush the virus, and return to what the new normal is going to be. 
in the post-COVID-19 era. And that's what the Newsom campaign leaned in on, on in their campaign. Uh, they leaned in on two things. One was uh, taking hard measures against the, the, against the pandemic. Uh, voters backed them up there. Um, is that something, uh, as we look towards the 22 House races, which, you, which will impact you greatly, you're a member of House leadership, uh, history tells us that uh, the House, if the, the presidents of the same party, often loses control in the midterms. Uh, you're in a razor thin edge there. What messages could be used in those House races, even in swing districts? Is it, is it strong effort on COVID that Newsom said? Is that one of the messages? Well, from the very beginning, under Speaker Pelosi's tremendous leadership, we've been focused on two things. Crush the virus and revive, reinvigorate, and rescue the economy and create opportunity and prosperity in every single zip code. Build back better for the people. And I think the measures that we've taken under President Biden's leadership have put us into a better place. The Delta variant uh, is resilient and problematic and troublesome. And there are only two pathways forward. We can either continue to take decisive measures to crush the virus, which is what President Biden has done, House Democrats under the leadership of Speaker Pelosi, Senate Democrats, and Governor Newsom uh, here in California have done. We can take decisive measures to continue to crush the virus or you can bury your heads in the sand and wish it all away as if it's simply the flu. And that's what the former president said. And it appears that so many Republicans continue to adopt that philosophy. And the people of California rejected that lie and that level of irresponsibility in the recall election. Now, Trump is not going to be on the ballot in 2022. How do you get uh, there's been a concern about how do you get the uh, particularly Latino voters, young voters under 30, 35, how do you get them engaged without Trump on the ballot, Trump at the top of the ticket? What, what do you do to, to get to turn out those voters who are very key in these House races in California, especially in the swing districts? Well, Trump is not on the ballot, but Trumpism remains on the ballot. And in the aftermath of the violent insurrection, you would have thought that reasonable Republicans would have run toward democracy as opposed to running away from democracy. Uh, but instead of embracing the fact that the heart and soul of America is the notion of self-government, one person, one vote, and that what we saw on January 6th was wildly unacceptable and can never happen again. And instead, they continue to perpetrate the big lie that Donald Trump actually won the election and that Joe Biden is not a legitimate president. And so they continue to worship at the altar of the cult of personality that is Donald Trump. And so I think Trumpism will be on the ballot for many voters. But most importantly, Democrats are acting decisively to cut taxes for working families and for middle class families to lower costs including in healthcare and childcare for everyday Americans, uh, and to create millions of good-paying jobs. That's what the Build Back Better Act is all about. And as Speaker Pelosi recently indicated, our top priority as we go back to Washington will be to make sure that we get the bipartisan infrastructure agreement over the finish line at the same time 
as the $3.5 trillion Build Back Better Act over the finish line uh, because it will enable us to really elevate the quality of life, the health, the safety, and the economic well-being of the American people. I want to dive into that in a second, but one more question about uh, about coming, something that's coming up this week is a, a march to commemorate, I don't know, how would you say, celebrate the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol. Uh, we've, in the last couple of days, I'm sure you've seen the leaks from the new book by uh, Bob Woodward and Robert Costa called Peril, that the Joint Chiefs Chairman, Mark, General Mark Miley, took secret action to limit Trump from potentially ordering, you know, military strikes or launching nuclear weapons. Did, did you know any of this was happening in the background? I was not aware of the particulars, but I certainly was aware that many people uh, throughout the highest levels of government were concerned at the erratic nature of the former president, his instability, uh, and his willingness to do anything to hold on to power. And we saw that play itself out with the violent attack uh, on the Capitol that was incited by Donald Trump, resulting in the deaths of several Capitol police officers and more than 140 seriously injured. How, how, how crazy is this to, to hear about? I mean, for, for, I mean, you were in the Capitol. Uh, how much does that shake your world, knowing that, that we were this close to something crazy happening? It's another reminder that democracy is very fragile. Uh, it doesn't run on autopilot. It's not a self-executing proposition. The framers of the Constitution understood this. Of course, when Ben Franklin was famously asked what he and the other framers of the Constitution had done in the aftermath uh, of the Constitutional Convention in Philadelphia, 1787, he responds to a question that was asked by Elizabeth Powell, the first lady of the city of Philadelphia, when she says, what have you gentlemen done, Mr. Franklin? He responds, we've created a republic if you can keep it. And Dr. Franklin clearly understood that this democracy was not a guaranteed thing. Over 100, 240 years later, we've kept it together through a lot of trial and tribulation, but we came perilously close to losing it on January 6th. And we're going to have to take decisive measures to keep it. In the aftermath of the insurrection, we've seen a wave of voter suppression activity in Republican-led state after Republican-led state all across America, which is why we're also focused on passing voting rights legislation uh, in the Congress, getting it to President Biden's desk so we can protect the integrity of our democracy uh, and the fact that the people should determine who serves in office. We'll have more of our conversation with Congressman Hakeem Jeffries after this short break. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. And now here's more of our conversation with Congressman Hakeem Jeffries. Let's go back to talking about that, that uh, infrastructure bill, uh, $3, tr $3 trillion infrastructure package. 
Uh, there's the, we rolled out some of the taxes. You rolled out some of the taxes this week that may be helped to pay for it. One thing that some people here in California are wondering about is the uh, so-called SALT deductions, the um, state and local taxes. And that when Republicans overhauled the taxes in 2017, they put a $10,000 cap on state and local deductions. Now, this mostly affects people, uh, well-to-do people, uh, for the most part, in, in California, in your state, in New York. Will we see that cap change? And do you think it should? We absolutely need to uh, repeal the SALT tax cap, the fact that the Republicans targeted the state and local tax deduction in the 2017 GOP tax scam was deliberate because they knew that it would have adverse consequences on blue states like California and New York and New Jersey and Connecticut and Illinois, which, by the way, send more money to the federal government than we get back in return. Billions of dollars more to the federal government, which then goes to places like Mississippi and Alabama and Louisiana. We're fine with that. We have a generous spirit in California and in New York. <laughs> yes, that's one way to put it. A generous spirit, yes. However, <laughs> we should not be taken advantage of right. in, in obliterating the state and local tax deduction, which they knew would have an adverse impact on people in this state of California and in New York, it was an intentional uh, act. It was diabolical in nature. And it impacts the ability of states and localities to provide services, public health, public safety, public education, public transportation, public housing, and the provision of the public good, which is why uh, it is something that needs to do you think it, uh, Do you think it will? You got changed. some muscle there? You got you and Pelosi? Do you think that, that can make it happen? Well, I, you know, I know that there's a commitment at the highest levels of leadership to make sure that we address this issue, um, and we'll see what that ultimately looks like, but I'm confident uh, that in the final agreement between the House and the Senate, uh, we, we, we'll, we will address a wrong that occurred under Donald Trump and the Republican-led Congress in 2017. Why isn't there a wealth tax in this package? This is something that uh, Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, who, who won California in the primary, favored during their presidential campaigns. It was drawn up here by two uh, UC Berkeley professors. Um, why not a, a, a wealth tax in this? Well, we're still working through what the final package is going to be, and I don't want to get out ahead of the negotiations um, as well as what may be coming out of the Ways and Means Committee uh, in partnership and tandem with the Senate Finance Committee, both of which I know are in close communication with each other. I think as a top line, we are going to make sure uh, that the wealthy, the well-off, and the well-connected pay their fair share of taxes. And these investments that we're making, particularly in infrastructure and fixing our crumbling bridges, roads, tunnels, airports, our mass transportation system, our water and sewage system, making sure that we can win the future, that will benefit everyone. It will benefit the economy and commerce, and by extension, the wealthiest amongst us. And so we think it not robbery uh, that everyone be asked to pay their fair share. What that ultimately looks like over the next few weeks you know, is a matter of discussion and negotiation. But I do believe that we're going to land in a very good place. Well, you're here, and of course, in the home district of uh, of the boss, Nancy Pelosi. Uh, uh, so, g give us a, give us a Pelosi story that we we don't know about. Give us give us a little insight to what it's like working with her that we don't 
that we don't know. Well, and you, you don't have to suck up all this too much. You just have to just <laughs> give me give me something real here. Well, I'll just simply say this. I think that uh, we all, we know that she's smart as a whip, um, and will go down in history as one of the most legendary legislative leaders ever. Um, she's tough and she's fair at the same time. How does she keep people together, the, 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 the caucus together? I mean, there's rarely defection. There's, you got some trouble with this tax bill, but there's rarely defection. What does she do? Does she, she's not a yeller. She's a, she's, is she, she come on, like her daughter, I think said was, uh, she's kind of like an Italian grandma sometimes, you know, kind of guilting you in this stuff. What, what is it? What is her superpower there? Well, I, I would say, uh, one, what's clear to me is that she loves the caucus she loves the Congress, the Constitution, and the country. That is clear in everything that she does. I hadn't heard the Italian grandmother analogy, uh, but that makes a lot of sense to me. An Italian grandmother is very loving. But also, if you cross the line, <laughs> there could be some challenges. Yes, as, as someone who has had a couple of Italian grandmas, I, I, I feel that. What, what have you learned from her personally? What, what have you, you've, you've watched her up close. She's obviously, she's a huge fan of yours. I remember sitting in this very editorial board where she was talking you up several years ago. What have you learned from her? Well, it's been an amazing opportunity uh, to be able to work closely with her, to learn from her, uh, and to watch how she leads during a very difficult time. She was really built for this moment and was the tip of the spear in leading us out of the Trump era winning the House, governing, pushing back against Donald Trump and his excesses, and ultimately holding the House and helping to make sure we won the Senate and the presidency. The thing that I've learned from her, I think, that um, is most impressive is she respects all aspects of the broad coalition of House Democrats. Progressives, and she represents a very progressive district here very, yes. in San Francisco as I do back at home, the People's Republic of Brooklyn. Yeah, <laughs> same thing. Yeah, Same thing. Uh, but she respects and understands and is authentically progressive, uh, but, but also knows that for us to continue to hold the majority, it's a broad coalition of centrists and moderates, frontline members in tough, traditionally Republican-held districts, and, you know, blue dog conservative members. And she understands that people have an obligation, first and foremost, to respect their districts while at the same time being part of the team to get things done. The phrase that she uses often that I think is so powerful is we're going to get to the highest common denominator. And I think in that analysis, it captures the respect for everyone's individual perspectives but knowing at the end of the day, we've got to find a way to come together to find the highest point of agreement, the bottom line for the people uh, as we work to build back better. Okay, now I ask this of everyone who's remotely close to Pelosi and, or in her orbit. Do you think this is her last term? You know, I don't know. And that's uh, her decision to make. Yeah. And I just know that she's been an extraordinary leader. And we need her at this moment. The country needed her. Uh, and her leadership over the next uh, few weeks, the next few months, the next few years, is going to be incredibly important to get the things done 
that need to happen for the American people. Um, and, you know, we have a great leadership team led by the speaker and Jim Clyburn and Steny Hoyer and my colleagues, uh, Catherine Clark, the assistant speaker, and Pete Aguilar, who's also from that's California. That's right. He's, he's California. California. Yeah, yeah. The wrong part uh, of the state, but that's okay. <laughs> I see there's a sibling rivalry. Yes, that very, very much so. Yes, it's, it's, it's everywhere. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, on but everything. The, the entire team, uh, I think, is, 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 is committed um, to making sure that this moment in history is transformative for everyday Americans. You had, you had the New Deal era. Of course, you had the Great Society Civil Rights era. This is going to be the Build Back Better era. And it's my hope um, that uh, when it's all said and done in terms of the work that we do in this Congress, that we will have really elevated the quality of life of everyday Americans, of the middle class, those who aspire to be part of the middle class, as well as the poor, the sick, the afflicted, the least, the lost, and the left behind. Okay, and I got to ask you, you know, if, if she were to leave, I know you've been mentioned as a, as a possible successor, you'd be interested in the gig, right? If it were to come available. There's only one speaker at a time, and we've got an extraordinary one right now. And so the only thing that I can do is the job that I currently have, which is an honor and a blessing, as chair of the House Democratic Caucus, the most diverse legislative caucus in the history of the republic. Um, you know, more African-Americans, more Latinos, more Asian-Americans. Uh, we had two Native American women, and now Deb has left us to become... Yes. She's been a guest uh, the interior on the secretary. She's great. Uh, but, you know, Sharice David is still with us. Uh, more members of the LGBTQ community. An incredibly diverse caucus, authentically representing the hopes, the dreams, the aspirations, the fears, the concerns, the anxieties, and as the framer said, the passions of the people. Uh, and so I just look forward to continuing to do the best job that I can as caucus chair. And of course, Fiercely representing the people of the eighth congressional district back home. Okay, speaking of Brooklyn, let's let's close with a let's close with a quote. I know you're fond of quoting uh, one of your former constituents, Biggie Smalls. Yes, which is uh, he was born and raised in Brooklyn, which uh, district you represent, of course. Uh, during the second impeachment uh, uh, of, uh, of Trump, uh, you quoted Biggie when responding to uh, Trump lawyer Jay Sekulow and uh, asking, "Why are we here?" And you said, "Of course, we are here, sir." We are here, sir. Because President Trump pressured a foreign government to target an American citizen for political and personal gain. We are here, sir, because President Trump solicited. And we are here, sir, to follow the facts, apply the law, be guided by the Constitution, and present the truth to the American people. That is why we are here, Mr. Seculo. And if you don't know, now you know. But, you know, we're in the West Coast now. I don't, I don't want to open up any Biggie versus Tupac stuff here. But, uh, d you know, drag into that uh, controversy. But do you have a favorite Tupac quote? Do you have a, uh, or if, you know, if, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, I know Jared Huffman doesn't have one. That's, that would be his district. Because Tupac yeah. lived out here in, in, uh, That's Marin, right. Marin for a while. Um, do you have, or if not to him, do you have a favorite West Coast uh, guy? Well, I will say that, well, Tupac actually, interestingly enough, Combines, right? Spent a lot of time uh, in New York. Was born in Harlem. Right, right. Then spent time in Northern Baltimore. California. He was well, spent time in Baltimore, yeah. of course. Pelosi connection. Pelosi. <laughs> and then Northern California, in and around Oakland, right? Marin right, County. Yes, yes. And then, of course, with Death Row Records, 
in Southern California. So he brings a lot of things together. I, I do. And very um, political in his early career. That, that is correct. Um, you know, one of my favorite Tupac songs um, is uh, Against All Odds. And um, he, uh, he has a phrase in that where he's talking about some things that, you know, related to when he was in a tough spot in New York. Uh, and he would, he would use the phrase, the realest ish I ever wrote. And uh, I've just thought about that phraseology a lot during the Trump years because we've been compelled just to engage in real talk because the stakes have been so high. And we can't sugarcoat the situation that we confront. Tupac never did. Um, and, uh, and against all odds, we, you know, we're able to win back the House. And now we have this triangular alignment of values between the House, the Senate, and the presidency. And, and we'll continue to get things done for the people. Okay. Congressman Hakeem Jeffries, thank you for being, thank you for rechristening uh, the, uh, the podcast here at The Chronicle. And thank you for being on It's All Political. Thank you. Hey, wow, it was just so great to be back at the Chronicle building today in our renovated newsroom to record this podcast. I was very pumped to be back for the first time in a year and a half. And I'd like to thank everyone for listening and hope that you and your families are safe and healthy. I'd like to thank Congressman Jeffries for being on the podcast today. I'd like to thank the King Webby Award winning producer, King Kaufman, for producing today's episode. And of course, we always throw out some love for our fabulous theme music. That song you're listening to is called Cattle Call, and it was written by Randy Clark and performed by Randy Clark and Crow Song. And remember, no matter if you're a fan of Biggie or a fan of Tupac, it's all political. <laughs>